Welcome to the My Faith Votes podcast. I'm Megan West. This week's episode, I sat down with former governor and presidential candidate Mike Huckabee. He's also the honorary national chairman of My Faith Votes. We discussed how to speak with others who might not agree with our faith and our views, and Governor Huckabee provides some fantastic tips and insight on how we as Christians can have meaningful conversations with those who don't share our values. This is a conversation I took to heart, and I hope you will as well. Where is America headed right now? Are we in a good direction? Are we, have we made a shift? Is it positive? I'm a little worried about things. Uh, I was talking to a very good friend of mine who was a missionary to Venezuela about 30 years ago. And he was there for a number of years. And as you know, Venezuela was once a very prosperous, uh, significant, solid, stable country uh, that exported oil and beef and, and was a very uh, good economy. Now it is an utter collapse and people stand in long lines for the basic necessities of life. And despite their natural resources, the advent of socialism and corrupt government has destroyed Venezuela. He made a comment to me that really startled me. He said, what I'm seeing in the U.S. among younger generation students and the academics is what I saw in Venezuela prior to it beginning to go downhill. And that really shook me and I thought, You know, we've got to see some different direction in this country, or we could go down that path within another generation. So what do you see as maybe the top issues that voters need to be concerned about as they're going to the polls? You know, in My Faith Votes, we sort of have a a three-fold thing. We say uh, pray, Mm -hmm. think, vote. I'm wearing that today here. There you go. I I could have read it right (laughs) off your shirt. But it is important, first of all, to pray, to, to be in touch with God. This should not be just a political decision. We really think people ought to be making spiritual decisions, biblical decisions about their citizenship. This is not about Democrats and Republicans. This is not all horizontal, left, right, liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican. I like to think of politics as it should be, as vertical. It's up or down, it's good or bad. It takes us more toward God or further from Him. And that's why we pray. We pray to ask God which candidate, which direction, which policy will take us up not down. So just because as we pray vertically, we should vote vertically. Mm -hmm. So if we pray, if we think, which means we get information, we understand what the issues are, not what someone tells us they are, but then all of that means nothing if we don't vote. Right, right, exactly. So there's issues within the church even where there's such division and immigration is one of those. People have different philosophies as far as how we should approach that. So where is the line between immigration being compassionate and immigration being an invasion? Immigration is an important factor in how this country was made strong and wonderful. People who came to America because America represented freedom. It represented their ability to be an individual, not a part of, of a group. And they were not part of limiting themselves because of their race or because of their ethnicity or their religion or because of what their family owned or didn't own. That's what made America an incredible place and it's why people came. But when they came, they came to assimilate into America. They embraced our constitution. They embraced our language. They wanted to be a part of America and they raised their kids to serve the country, to, uh, to respect the country. Mm-hmm. That's a very different kind of understanding of immigration than it is when if somebody comes and says, whether you want me or not, Mm -hmm. no matter what I've done, 
you have no right to keep me out. I'll come if I want to and I'll burn your flag and I'll never learn your language and I will get from you free things and you will give it to me. And if you don't, then I will just denigrate you across the world. That is not immigration. That is an invasion. So should we be compassionate toward people who really are seeking asylum? Of course we should. But I see a lot of 18 to 35-year-old angry young men, and they're not looking for asylum. They're looking for an opportunity to exploit, uh, an opportunity to commit crimes, um, to do harmful things to innocent people. So when people say, but as a Christian, don't you think you should just be compassionate? I am compassionate, but I'm also protective of my family, my neighbors. Uh, the people I go to church with, the people that I have a responsibility for. So here's my question when, when people ask that. Mm -hmm. Do you lock your doors at night? Uh, do you keep your windows closed? Uh, if somebody's wandering around the neighborhood at two o'clock in the morning, do you go and open the door and say, why don't you just spend the rest of the night here? I never saw you before. I don't know who you are. I don't know if you're armed. I don't know if you're on drugs. But yeah, just live here for the next uh, several years. Mm -hmm. I don't know of anybody that does that. And if they do, then, then God bless them. But when I see people who say, you know, we shouldn't uh, close the door, fine. How many would you like to put up at your home and tell us for how long, for how many years can they come and stay at your expense? When you do that, then okay, you, you got me on that one. Right. Well, I'm a voter and I'm a mom. And so one of the concerns that I go into the voting booth with is thinking about my children and the future mm -hmm. of the children. But both parties talk about the future of kids. So what do you think is the fundamental difference in the vision between parties for our future of the kids? The, the basic difference that I see between Democrats and Republicans is that Democrats truly do believe that you are a part of a group and you have to stay within your group. And if your group gets better, you can be better. So if you're African-American, um, you've got to stay with uh, an African-American group. If you're a, a union member, you've got to stay within your union. If you're a, a female, you have to vote a certain way because you're female. And you can't break out or think individually. You have to think collectively. Mm -hmm. So it's collectivism versus Republicans historically have believed in individualism. They have believed that uh, I am personally responsible for my future. And, you know, I grew up poor. I could say, well, it's not fair. I didn't grow up with the things other kids had. I didn't. But it wasn't about fairness. It was about something I couldn't have any control over. But America gave me the opportunity to get an education, to work hard, and to do something no male upstream from me in my entire family lineage had ever done, graduate high school, much less go to college. I couldn't have done that if I said, well, look at the group I'm in. I'm in a group of people that never got out of high school, so I can't either. I'm in a group of people that never left and moved more than 50 miles from home, so I can't either. You know, I, I'm a group of people that uh, never owned a home, so I can't. What if I decided to live in that collectivism uh, world? Well, it, it would have been a very different outcome. And you wouldn't have run for president, necessarily. Yeah, and maybe I shouldn't have done that. Uh, that didn't turn out real well either time. But, you know, but the point being that I had an opportunity mm -hmm. to. We're not guaranteed the, the results. Yeah. We're only guaranteed the opportunity. So you've been a pastor, mm -hmm. you've been a governor, yep. you ran for president, so you have seen the mix of faith and politics. And there are some Christians that say, we just can't do that. I can't mix my faith with political things and I don't wanna get involved in that. I just wanna leave it up to God. So how do you respond to those people? Well, I mean, that's a very naive view. I like to say it this way. Everybody wants to eat from a clean plate, but you gotta do the dishes. And 
if you escape that sense of personal responsibility, you do two things. First, you abandon really duty as a citizen. Uh, Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the, render unto God the things that are God's. There's certain things that really are God's. You know, we go to church, we tithe, we give an offering above our tithe, we serve, uh, we love people, we forgive people. There are a whole lot of things that I must do because I'm related to God through Jesus Christ. But there are also things that I should do because I'm a citizen and I live in this world. And I live in a country that allows me something most people in the world don't have. And that's the ability to elect the people who lead me. So I can hire them and I can fire them. Now, if I don't vote, I'm pretty much just saying, whatever you guys wanna do, it's fine mm. with me. Well, there's some things that have happened in our culture that are not fine with me. Right. But if I don't vote, I really lose the right to speak. Right, and, but some people also say, well, that's just dirty. So I can't share my faith in a dirty arena. <laughs> How do you talk to them as well? I, I wonder, do they ever do their laundry? <laughs> is it dirty when they do it? Of course it is, but they do it because they clean it up. Do they ever clean their homes? Yes, they do. They right. vacuum, they sweep, they mop. Why? Because their house was dirty. If they said, oh, that's dirty, I want to touch it. It doesn't get cleaner, it gets even more dirty. So when people say politics is dirty, my response is then go clean it up. Mm -hmm. And if you don't clean it up, who's going to? Exactly. And it's only as clean as we're willing to make it. Is it a tough environment? I would say, you bet it is. And Megan, I always say to people when they tell me, I'm thinking about running for office. I say, well, if you can't stand the sight of your own blood, don't do it, because mm. it is brutal. Yeah. But if we only did the things that were safe and comfortable, um, who would ever sign up to go to the military? No one. That's really a tough assignment. Who would ever be a police officer, a firefighter, uh, a first responder? Who would ever serve in the Coast Guard, for heaven's sakes? Yeah. Nobody. So we can't make that as an excuse. In fact, I think, if anything, uh, Christian believers should be at the forefront of helping shape the culture. Amen. Well, you see the media from a different perspective, so there's lots of negativity, lots of bias. Give us some good news from the media that we don't hear, things that would inspire us to go, no, things are okay with what's going on in our country and moving forward. Well, the negative is if people get all of their news and information from sources uh, that they haven't edited and filtered, then they're gonna really end up, I think, having a maybe a, an unfair worldview. The good news is the same internet that can put out some nasty stuff is also a treasure trove of giving you the opportunity to mine for your own data and to look at things from four or five perspectives and to try to find out what are the facts, what, are the, what is the truth. I always say when I'm speaking to high school students, don't read a newspaper or listen to a television newscast without saying, I have to be my own editor. So ask, what's the source of this information? How many people verified it independently? Um, the veracity of it. Mm -hmm. what, what is it about this information that is trustworthy? Is it because somebody said this happened? Can somebody tell me who said? If it's all anonymous sources or an inside close to the president said, that doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. I would discount it and dismiss it. So make sure somebody is willing to go on the record to give you the information and that it's verifiable. It's mm, great. So how can we practically live at peace when there's division with our neighbors and just different philosophies, especially political identity? How can we practically live in a peaceful Christian witness? I'm never responsible for how somebody thinks toward me. I, I, I can't fix that. But I can always control how I react and 
even respond to another person. And I found that if somebody comes up to me, which happens in some public place, and they tell me they think I'm an idiot, I'm stupid, they think my views are Neanderthal, they give me this whole litany of things that, you know, why they basically can't stand the sight of me. I let them go through it. I don't argue with them because there's no point. But when they finish, I find that when I can just look them in the eye and smile and say, you know, funny you should say that. My wife says the same thing to me almost every day. <laughs> it's not at all what they expect. Uh, they don't know what to do because they were expecting me to have an argument with them, and I'm not going to give them that because what's the point? So what they wanted was an argument. I'm going to give them something completely different. I'm going to respond with some humor, and they typically just look at me like, oh, you just ruined my day, and they walk away. I think we have to be careful. There's a, a passage in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And so sometimes we have to respond with a soft answer. We have to keep our sense of humor. We have to be willing to talk and listen to people that disagree with us. Truly listen to them. I learn a lot from the people who disagree with me. I don't learn that much from people with whom I agree on everything. So is there a line between standing firm and living in peace with someone? Be honest, some people you're probably not going to live in peace with because they don't want to. If there's a person who believes that the greatest right they have is the right to kill the unborn child within the mother's womb, that's irreconcilable with the idea that every life has worth, value, dignity, and should be treated with respect. Those are irreconcilable differences. Yeah. Now, I can love that person who believes that way. I don't have to yell at them. I certainly am not going to do any violent act toward them. I can be compassionate, but I should never give in and say, well, you know, everybody has his or her own opinion. There's sometimes you have to say, I just think that when you start disrespecting and disregarding the value of another human life, it's the equivalent of saying that the captain of the football team is actually more important than the child with Down syndrome. I say, I can't do that because I think the child with Down syndrome is equally of value than the captain of the football team. And if you think otherwise, if you think some people are worth more than others, and some people are worth less than others, and you can come to the conclusion that a baby is expendable um, and disposable, then you and I have a different worldview, and we can't fix that. Right. So we have a lot of Christians who say, I want to vote for conservative principles, but I have a hard time agreeing with the personality of the president. Yeah. <laughs> How do you reconcile the two? If you're in the hospital, You've been diagnosed with a very, very serious illness that's going to require surgery. And two different surgeons are the ones who can do this operation. You're going to visit with both of them. One of them comes in. He's the nicest guy in the world. He holds your hand. He prays with you. He even weeps, hugs your wife. Nicest guy in the world. But he's only done this operation six times, and five of his patients have died. Next surgeon comes in. He's rude. He's profane. He tells the wife, be quiet, I don't have any time for you, can't answer your questions. And he's not polite. He's gruff and abrupt and abrasive. But he's done this surgery 1,100 times, and nearly every one of his patients has survived. Which doctor do you choose? I know which doctor I choose. I choose the guy that's going to save my life. I'll do the praying, I'll be the nice guy, but I want someone who really knows what he's doing when he gets me into the OR. There are personalities we've elected throughout history who had less than stellar uh, 
maybe personalities. Uh, there may have been a whole bunch of faults and flaws. All of them had them. We didn't know some of them as well. But the question is, can this person do the job? And can I look past what they do in terms of maybe the way they do it, but I appreciate and respect what they get done because it's what I believe needs to get done. And uh, I don't know how else to look at it. If, if, if a person says, well, I'm not gonna vote for someone unless they could also be my Sunday school teacher or my pastor, well then good luck. But if you really got to know some of the personalities, even some that you thought were uh, spick and span, you'd find out they may not be either. Interesting. All right, I've got a very tough question for okay. you. What's it like to be the dad of Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Well, it's a point of great pride for me <laughs> uh, and her mother. Uh, it's funny now, I used to go to places to speak and I would be introduced with these long biographical introductions. And now I go places and they just say, ladies and gentlemen, Sarah's dad. <laughs> I love it. I mean. No parent is ever jealous of his or her child's success. Uh, my daughter has been a strong role model for many women who appreciate that she has convictions, courage, but she also balances between being a wife, a mother to three children. She loves God. She's unapologetic about her love of God, her belief in the scriptures, her commitment to, uh, uh, to the value of every life. She is unabashedly and non-negotiably pro-life. So when I see a woman who, who takes that stand and is not intimidated by the people who hate her for those stands, whether it's my daughter or somebody else's daughter, I appreciate that. And I think it does give encouragement uh, to other young Christian wives and mothers out there. It does, absolutely. Well, any final thoughts for our viewers who are thinking about voting, getting ready, haven't voted yet potentially, but 14 days left? If they don't vote, they really have lost the right to complain. And voting is not simply a right, it's a responsibility. So I would say that if it's raining, vote. Um, if it's cold, go ahead and vote. If it's inconvenient and there's a long line, get in that line and don't leave that line until you voted. Because voting is what gives us our government. If we don't like the government we have, if we think it could be done better, the only, and I mean the only way we can effectively influence it is to vote. People forget that when, you know, you hear this all the time, well, my vote's not gonna make that much difference. In 1960, John F. Kennedy won the presidency over Richard Nixon by what amounted to one vote in each of the precincts across America, one vote in each precinct. Um, Donald Trump won the election in 2016 because a handful of people in certain states went out and voted for him in every election cycle. There are major races that are won by a handful of votes, and in some cases, literally by one vote. It does matter. And if a person is a person of faith and fails to vote, I look at it as, as if this person would fail to pray, would fail to tithe. Please don't come and tell me how much you love God. You live in a country that gives you and affords you the opportunity to participate by way of your citizenship. And failure to do so is violating what Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Amen. Pray, think, vote. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your advice. <laughs> and thank you for being our honorary national chairman. Megan, thank you. Great to visit with you. Thank you. God bless. If you'd like to learn more about what we do at My Faith Votes, go to myfaithvotes.org.